Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. Today's guest is Rick Rando. Rick is a keynote empowerment speaker, 20-year business owner, and he's also a 7th degree black belt master. Good morning, Rick. Thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call Podcast. How are you today? I am great, Sifu. Thank you, sir, for having me. I'm honored to be with you today. Likewise, likewise. We have a lot to talk about. You actually do so much. You empower people in so many different ways. What would you say is your favorite way to help people? Well, you know, I have an extensive background in, in service. I think it started when I, was, uh, when I was a kid. I gave my first speech on July 4th on Derby Day in our town. So I'm from a small town in Western Maryland, and they still do Derby Days where you have to build a car out of wood or fiberglass or something, and you race the car down Main Street, it's a decline, you know, and whoever gets to the bottom goes to the next round. It's a huge thing in our town. I was asked to give the July 4th speech for, for the founding of our flag. It was all about Betsy Ross. And I did it when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember looking out into the audience, the crowd of people, and I start seeing these light bulbs go off. You know, my mom helped me with the speech because, you know, I was in ninth grade and and uh, helped me with the delivery. I had practiced it probably a thousand times before that day. And I look out into the crowd and you, you start seeing these people nod their head and you see kids that are glazed over, just staring at you, sort of hanging on every word. And I knew, I guess, at that point that I wanted to to reach the masses in a, in a bigger way other than just doing the nine to five punching in, punching out, and just living for the weekend. So, you know, my favorite way, I think, is any any way that works. Mm. And there's a lot of different ways that you can influence somebody. You can influence somebody by, by your words, obviously, by your actions. You can influence somebody by a photo, uh, by a social media post right now, by a quote. You can serve them or, or influence somebody by just sometimes showing up and caring. I mean, especially with kids. So I think my favorite way, because I'm a martial arts instructor, I teach anywhere between 35 to 45 classes a week. And I, and I personally still teach after 33 years of, 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 of doing martial arts. I think any way that works and any light bulb that goes off gives me 
pleasure. Mm-hmm. It gives me purpose. It validates why I'm on this planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you want something a little more specific, but for me, I, I kind of knew that, look, I'm going to get deep here, but I knew very, very early on that I was sort of built for something bigger. You know, I, I remember, uh, I guess maybe I was in middle school. You know, I was, I was bullied like pretty much every other kid, you know, in middle school is, you know, I was, I was small, I was skinny. Uh, I, I didn't wear the right clothes, you know, I w- didn't sit at the right lunch table, you know, wh- whatever it is, in, insert uh, excuse for not fitting in in middle school here, you know, um, and, and I, I remember uh, I had just got out in the shower and I looked at myself in the mirror and then this sort of feeling overcame me. And all I say was that my wife calls it like a God shock where um, something happens to you and it's, it's immediately goes right into your soul that, that God, I'm of I'm a Christian, the God speaking to you. Mm. And as I was looking at myself in the mirror, this the feeling overcame me that says, listen, you are going to go on in your life and do big things. You are going to empower people to look at life bigger than their circumstances, their tiny little problems, or when they wake up and they hit every red light, you are going to give them purpose. But before you can do that, you have to know who you are. And these kids that continue to berate you and these kids that are, you know, picking on you, believe me, you're better than that. And you are going to succeed no matter where you go, no matter what you do, because I'm, I've, I've anointed you. And it, it, it sounds weird. It sounds odd. It sounds like made up. But really, honestly, from that moment on, I knew that I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was in safe hands. And I knew that I was destined for something bigger. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, that's so, incredible. <laughs> I, I mean, you get too. We got too, we got really deep, really fast. I'm sorry. Sarah, no, no, that's, that's this the is what, of it. This is what it's about: finding out what what made you do what you do today, and, and your passion for it. What, what age did you start your martial arts training? So that's a really interesting story. So I was nine years old. I was playing basketball, a little bit of soccer. I, I was playing golf. My grandfather taught me how to play golf as soon as I was old enough to hold a club, sort of like a Tiger Woods kind of thing. Only we live in Western Maryland in the mountains, so it, it snows five months of the year. You know, golf aspirations, you know, a little bit more challenging here when you can't, you know, basically play for five months. Mm-hmm. But my, my sister, who was younger than me, she's six. And uh, she, I guess, saw the Ninja Turtles or something uh, online. She wanted to, maybe it was the Karate Kid or something. She wanted to take on the world Karate Kid style. So she basically at six years old, she started begging my parents, I want to do karate. I want to do karate. I want to, I want to kick people. I want to, you know, be a, a ninja. <laughs> and, and from a small town, my parents were like, I don't even know if that exists here. You know, right. So they, they did a little research. They found a studio at the, at the Frostburg Armory. Okay. It's a tiny little building, 40 by 40 room. Um, it was, the classes were three hours long. Okay. You can appreciate this. Absolutely. Okay? They were, they were Mondays and Wednesdays from six to nine. Okay. It was a three hour block of time. Um, when we walked in the first time, there were no kids in the class, no kids. You know, I was there. I, I didn't even, I wasn't even going to do martial arts. I was there because we had one car. So wherever mom went, you went with her. Cause mm-hmm. usually we were going to the grocery store and we were, we, we were done, you know, kind of thing. And it was better than sitting at home. So, um, so, so I go, the instructor said, you know, listen, you know, we don't normally take kids, uh, especially six-year-olds. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid, you know, kind of kind of deal. He was an old school, hard, you know, a hard-nosed guy. Right, right. Uh, he, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to, you know, teach some six-year-old snot-nosed booger eater, you know. 
And um, <laughs> so anyway, my mom, who's very persuasive, especially of taking care of her kids, said, listen, you know, this, we got to, this is what my daughter wants to do. This is, her, this is her dream. Okay. She's six. She wants to be a Ninja Turtle or, you know, you know, uh, you know, Pat Marita's sidekick, whatever. We got to, we got to funnel this. And that's, that's the beauty of my parents. Mm. Uh, very supportive, uh, no matter what. So anyway, the instructor said, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll do like a private lesson kind of thing. So anyway, again, next day, I'm being carted along, you know, kind of like the little sister is, all the baseball games kind of deal. And uh, we walked in. So he started teaching her some self-defense, some stances, some moves, hands up, you know, tight fists, all that good stuff. You know, I'm sitting on the side and I'm rolling my eyes. Like, you know, I just, I don't want, I want to be anywhere from here. Well, anyway, this went on for like two weeks. Okay. So back then, there were no restrictions on where you could ride in the car. You know, there was no part, there's no car seats, you know, you, the seatbelt was dead panned, you know what I mean? You could ride in the front seat. I mean, heck, you could ride in, in, in the back window, you know, in a car, you know, driving down the road to Florida, you know? So anyway, we were getting ready to get in the car. We're getting ready to go to one of my sister's martial art lessons. And I said, shotgun. And at nine years old, I yelled shotgun. My sister at six, she turns to me in her martial art uniform and she gets in a fighting stance. She goes, Hi-yah! you know what I mean? And I went, holy cow, my six-year-old kid is going to be able, my six-year-old sister is going to be able to beat me up. And at that moment, I, <laughs> that literally that night, I joined martial art for self-defense purposes, self-defense against my six-year-old sister. That's too uh, funny. <laughs> so, so that's, that's kind of how it started. You know, I'm, I'm 42 now. So 33 years later, I'm still doing what I love. And as you know, with what you do, it gets in your, it's in, it's infectious. Like you can't, you can't not do it. Um, you can't not better yourself to, to not only to physically train. Okay. But I'm a traditional Taekwondoist. So what happens at a certain level, there are only so many katas, you know, there's only so many board breaks. There's only so many, how much sparring you can do. And of course, in a, in a traditional Taekwondo system, which primarily is a, I don't want to generalize here, but it's a younger uh, person's genre. And you get to a certain age and it's kind of like, okay, I've got these forms and I've got this weapon and I'm working on this and I'm working on this new self-defense. I started doing some jujitsu, which isn't even like traditional Taekwondo. It's like, well, where, what's next? And you know what you realize, and nobody tells you this when you start, is that it's infectious inside of you because num- number one, you're, you're growing yourself, but number two, you become very addicted to helping others and leveling them up as well. Mm-hmm. You become addicted to seeing that kid that walks in, who doesn't know left from right, who can't bend down and touch their toes, who, who can hardly pay attention. And, and six months later, they're standing in the front, they're sirs and man, they're not moving any muscles. They still might have trouble with physical skill, but you've literally changed the trajectory of where they can go based on their ability to concentrate, and to focus and to goal set. And that, there's something very addictive about that, where you can just see these kids that are raw clay and you can pour into them. Mm. And you, and, and from something that you know, you, you know this, you know, mm. you're, you're not learning this, you're not teaching this curriculum that the state has deemed necessary in third grade. You know, you're not, you're a different kind of teacher. You're, you're a mentor at that point. And there's something very addictive to that. I, I really enjoy that. And, you know, as, as a martial artist, our number one goal is is to make sure we are centered, we know who we are, and to be a great leader. But number two, it's then as a leader to then influence and help others, quote unquote, level up. And not just belt belt wise. It's to make sure that we 
help them ascend to being a better person, a better citizen, somebody that uh, we're proud to know. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you understand what I mean by that as a martial artist, right? Without a doubt. One of the things that, and, and I'm sure you are doing it as well, you're not teaching the way you were taught. Am I correct? Because you've accumulated all that knowledge and you turned it into your own because you accept kids now. (laughs) Unlike when you started, there was no kids. It was just you and your sister. So you've definitely changed the platform in where you're teaching. A hundred percent. Do you still teach the traditional aspects of it with a modern approach? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the short answer is, is yes. Um, our forms are almost identical. You know, we have changed them a little bit. Fighting techniques definitely have evolved. The, the root of martial arts, of being able to calm yourself, be able to uh, respect something bigger than you, the root of martial arts is to you know, give yourself to another person so they can pour in. Uh, and then also by doing that, then you can then fill others with the knowledge that you, that you own. But the, but the vessel has changed. So the, 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 the traditional stuff, yes, we do. In traditional Taekwondo, again, that's kind of what we do, which if you're a listener, you don't know what Taekwondo is. Basically means hand, foot, way or hand, foot, method. And basically it's, it's you kick about, depending, 70 to 80% of the time, you punch about 20. And in traditional Taekwondo, there are no weapons. You don't go to the ground. There's, there's no, in traditional Taekwondo, there's no music. Mm. There's no jumping and flipping. I mean, all of those elements are still there, yes, but we're, we're doing it in a more modern approach. In fact, right now in our studio, the majority of students in my studio, and I have, a, I have an 8,000 square foot facility, we have a staff of 70 plus, we have a student count in the hundreds. Right now, 90% of our students are kids, they mm-hmm. are children, mm-hmm. um, because there's a couple reasons for that, but, but the, vessel, the vessel has changed. You know, when I, when I made a mistake, as a green belt, and I wasn't paying attention. Green belt is about the third level in in a traditional Taekwondo program, maybe the fourth level. You know, my instructor had me go in the corner. In the corner, there was this large, you know, wooden bin, and inside the bin, it was filled with sand. And he said, "Punch the sand uh, for two minutes, and then come back and be under control." So I went into this to this corner, and I started punching the sand. You know. And of course, at first, it was like, well, this isn't really a big deal because I'm, the sand is kind of soft, you know. But after about 30 seconds of punching that sand, it started irritating your skin. And it was coarse. And the, the more you punched it, because he was yelling harder, 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 you didn't want to disappoint your instructor. You know, you realized that that was not something that you wanted to do. In 2021, you could not have a kid punch the sand without being sued by like 87 different people. Okay. Hmm. So back then that, that worked. I never, I never moved again because I did not want to punch that sand again. My hands were red. They were all bruised up and bloodied and, and there was sand irritating the skin. I mean, it took weeks to get that out and to get that sort of fully healed. And my mom was all about it. Like, listen, you're not going to pay attention. Yeah. You go punch the sand. You know what I mean? Like, like, um, you know, now we teach the back fist. Back then, you know, if you're older, you learn the backhand really fast, if you know what I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of parenting, just like it's a different type of teaching. So, yes, there's a lot of more modern elements there. We do use music uh, sometimes in class. We do musical forms. We do some jujitsu, which is not self-defense. So we cross-train in a lot of different other martial arts. Yes, we're doing weaponry. Our self-defense is completely different now. 
because, you know, you're not always going to be able to kick and punch the guy like the movies. They are going to grab you and they are going to get you in a headlock and they are going to get you on the ground. You have to be able to sort of adapt there. So I think the internet and also cross-training with other arts has, has blown up the kind of information that we have available. I mean, just think of the UFC, UFC fight one, you know, the Gracies come in and they annihilate everyone because nobody had really heard, at least in the Western, Western end of jujitsu, especially Brazilian jujitsu. What is that? And now, you know, you fast forward all those years later, 30 years later, plus you have to be versed in everything. You can't just be a striker. You can't just be um, a grappler. You have to be well-versed in everything. And I think that's kind of like in, in modern times, you can't just be one sole thing. You can't just be a really good dad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if you're a really good dad, your work is going to suffer and you can't be really good at work and, and dedicate 70 to 90 hours a, 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 a week at work because you're not going to be a good volunteer and you can't just solely be a good volunteer and you're going to volunteer and you give all your time to the homeless shelter because you might miss your mortgage payments because you didn't go to work. You know, that, that sort of that balance is something that martial arts, martial artists are really, really good at. So the vessel has changed. But the intent is the same. It's about building leaders. It's about building black belt leaders in life. I hope I hope I answered your question. But that's that's the vessel. The vessel uh, has changed, and we can reach so many more people. I mean, we're doing like an online uh, because of COVID. We're mm-hmm. doing online numbers that will blow your mind. You know, we we have students that are haven't left their house in months yet. They're still training with us. I mean, who would have thought when I started? You know, by the way, you can you can do class. You know, on the internet. Well, what's the internet? So, what is that? Right. Now, it's the most one of the most powerful tools that we have. Thank you know? God for the internet, right? I mean, imagine. Yeah, absolutely. If this pandemic would have hit twenty years ago, we would have suffered so much more because there is so many more connections, more ways of doing things, more ways of even connecting with your students. Business has changed the, the way people do business over the world, the whole world. The fact that meetings can happen now, not just before you had to use even the rotary phones were there. And 20 years ago, we started getting into some technology. But 20 years ago, I think things would have been a lot different. Absolutely. So, Rick, tell me, you you have continually honed your skill. You're a seventh degree black belt. You have done so many different things to just improve yourself because you want to bring more knowledge and more of yourself to other people. Tell me a little bit about the Disney Institute and you are a graduate from it. So tell us a little bit. That's interesting. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that's a great question. So I guess uh, I've been a Disney fan my entire life. Again, I live in Maryland and Disney world in Florida, Disneyland in California. My my family was really lucky because uh, my mom was a teacher. She had one of her teaching partners retired, and she moved to Florida, or like right outside of Orlando, about five minutes away from Disney World in Florida. So we would go down and see them every June. We would drive down, and we would stay with them. And because Disney World was five minutes away, we would you know make the rounds down there. In case you don't know, there's at the time there was Cypress Gardens, there was Sea World, there was Gatorland. There's all, and right right in that general area, even Universal was there. So we would go down, and I don't know, I just had this affinity for Disney. And, you know, as a kid, you're there, and it's all about the rides and attractions and the characters. Uh, as you get a little bit older, you can appreciate the food, and you start wondering, wow, like, 
how how do they get all these people on this on this ride? Like you start asking questions like, I wonder how many people are here or wonder what they're going to do over there because there's some construction. Then you get a little older and, and, and in business, then when you go, you look at it from a different lens and you're saying, okay, well, wow, you know, okay, if there's this many people and they're all paying this amount of money, you know, what's their, their electric bill must be nuts, mm. you know, or their payroll or how many unions work here. And you start asking questions like, I wonder why there's a, uh, a gift shop outside of, the Tower of Terror ride, you know, and they're they're selling Tower of Terror themed merchandise. And why don't they put the gift shop before you go in? That would make sense, right? Why somebody's waiting in line? Why don't you put it when it goes in? You start asking questions like just food, you know, efficiency. How many people are back there working to make sure that my hamburger comes out? And guess what? It's warm and it's not fast food type stuff. You you ask really deep, poignant questions of like about their culture and why do I keep coming back every year? Because again, my mom's friend, you know, passed away. So why is it so expensive? Why am I paying top dollar for an experience? Because the rides are all pretty much the same. You know, they change a little bit. And then once you have kids, it's a completely different lens. But I guess in 2010, before I had kids, and at that point, I'd been a school owner for 10 years. I wanted to, I wanted to see what was behind the Disney curtain. Like what mm. makes up the Disney magic? You know, what's in the secret sauce? Why are, why is everybody so nice? Why is everybody so accommodating? What what happens when your ice cream falls on the ground? There's somebody within 10 seconds running over for a voucher to get another one, or if not an ice cream in their hand to give it to you and say, hey, it's our pleasure. You know, why is it? It was the Chick-fil-A culture, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. before Chick-fil-A was Chick-fil-A. You know what I mean by that? Like It's that Disney level of service. It's that Disney level of, of, ex, of an experience, of storytelling. I wanted to find out for myself, how could I take that find it find the secret sauce and how can i apply that to my business to take it to the next level so i went into the disney institute in 2010 it's their business school and and for right now during the pandemic if you're listening to this you can actually take disney institute classes uh online virtually you know Mm -hmm. you can do it right now without ever having to leave your house i don't know where you go to do that and I, i don't work for them but you know if you google search it you'd be able to find it sure so anyway um i went to their five day business fully immersive experience. It was a, it was full day of all Disney. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just Mickey Mouse, you know, although certainly iconic and very important for developing their story and their brand. Mickey's just a small part of it. It is the customer loyalty aspect. It's the brand recognition. It's the attention to detail. It's the service oriented thing that they're, that they're constantly coaching you on. There was a lot of uh, team building drills, but, you know, just to give you an idea uh, of what this was, and I, and I actually, I talk about this when I go and speak at a variety of places. I go in on the very first day, sit wherever you want, you get your name tag, you sit down, and I'm looking in the room, and everybody's in, in business casual attire. I'm in a full suit, okay, because I, I, my mom always told me you can never be underdressed for any situation, you mm-hmm. know. So on the very first day, I go in and they, they have you go in, they, you grab a name tag and you sit down. And, you know, I, I found, a, found a spot. I'm an extrovert. So uh, I had no problem uh, sitting with, with another group there. And you could sit anywhere that you wanted in this room. And the room was, I don't know, probably, um, you know, a 60 by 40 uh, room. So it's, it was a long way. It's kind of like laid out like a football field. You could sit anywhere that you wanted. There was probably 30 people in the room that had signed up to take, you know, the five-day immersive course. They, my last name is R. So what happens is they, they would call your name and your job was to stand up and say your name 
you know, where you're from and what you do and, uh, and your favorite, you know, Disney character, you know, that was sort of the icebreaker, you know? So I'm listening to all of these people and, and I'm dressed in a full suit. Okay. Because my mom said, you know, you can never be overdressed for any situation. Everybody else, business casual. There was one other guy that was in jeans and a t-shirt, that kind of thing. And I guess he had been there early vacationing with his family, that kind of thing. Cause it was a, it was a Disney shirt, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So they get to me, you know, this first person stands up and I'm, I'm Chuck, you know, Johnson, I'm from Cisco Systems. I'm the CFO, yada, yada. Next person, I'm, uh, you know, this, you know, Mark, whatever, Oregon State. I'm director of, you know, you know, yada, yada, yada. You, know, you go all the way down to me. You know, they have these, all these, all these heavyweight people, here, you know, and from, from big places. There are people that have, um, you know, extremely long titles and, and people that have done great things, you know. So they get to me and I stand up. I say, my name is Rick Rando and I build confident leaders and there's this pause that came over everyone you know kind of like uh the record scratch you know in the movie there's just you know Mm. and one lady she turned and she said that's that's not a title and i said i know it's a mission my job is to build confident leaders and everybody's looking at me like what what is that what does he do you know like what does he do well that's what i do and i said you know it's not a title the reason i'm not here is, is to gain another title. The reason I'm not here is to share with you how important I am. The reason I'm here is to perpetuate my mission of building leaders. And right away, you know, you had the, the people, you know, that were facilitating this, like, oh, okay, we should pay attention to this guy. I mean, this guy is, he's got something that other people were, you know, were so boisterous to say, you know, what their title was, who they are. They forgot about what, what they are. They're a vessel amazing things amazing works and others they are servant leaders you've heard this before right we we serve our people mm. and uh, the biggest thing for the disney institute that i took away uh, one of the biggest things is that everything speaks everything speaks okay we know that everyone speaks because everybody has a voice whether it's verbal or they can you know write things or sign language you know every everybody speaks but their thing was everything speaks everything speaks you know from how smooth your parking lot is when you pull in to how good the building smells, to how kind the reception is, and how quickly they acknowledge you, to communication, to service, to customer recovery. Everything speaks from the carpets okay, to the ceiling tiles. Everything tells a story. And for Disney with their... Feng Shui. Yeah, absolutely. Fanatical attention to detail is what I picked up from Disney of being there. I, I mean, a billion other things, but that was the biggest takeaway. If you're sitting out there and you're a coach and you work with other people, and you can be a coach, like you say, uh, and you've said repeatedly on your podcast, you you don't have to have the the term coach behind your name to be a coach, okay? Uh, Because if everything speaks and everyone speaks, you are telling a story everywhere you go, every time you're nice to a waiter, you know, every time you open the door for another human, every time you smile with purpose, with a genuine greeting, you are telling a story about who you are and what you stand for. And if you're out there and you're a coach and you're looking to better yourself, fanatical detail is what I empower you, encourage you to do and have. Because the story that you tell will speak long, it'll speak long beyond your existence here if the sermon can be seen and not heard, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything speaks. Absolutely. And one of the things that you, you definitely, by going to that, I'm sure it helped you in so many ways. Because you, your school, I'm sure, is very inviting when, when someone walks into it. Am I correct? 
yes, sir. It doesn't look like a martial arts studio. It looks like a hotel lobby when you walk in. Perfect. And that's the way it's, that's the way it's designed. Yeah. Just to, to give you to give you an idea, you know, there's stonework out front. We have bamboo planters that you know are were, were custom made for the outside. You walk in the floor, uh, all tiled floor. The receptionist is in a custom is sitting behind a custom desk, if not out. I mean, now she's out or he's out, you know, doing temperature screening and greeting. You know, there's a custom water wall that we bought from that was stoned, uh, stone, a stone in India uh, that's constantly flowing. There's announcements, there's music playing. We have a, a system uh, that we purchased through a company called Scent Air. If you own a martial arts studio, Scent Air is great. Uh, basically, it pipes a smell into the studio that's very inviting and clean. It's the same technology Disney uses. In fact, that's where I got it on the Disney Institute down there because mm-hmm. it always smells so good down there. And, you know, when you walk down Main Street at Disney World, you smell that popcorn. That's in most, in most cases, it's an artificial smell. It's not a real smell. They're pumping that smell out. You smell it, invoking the taste buds, which is really linked to memory, which you're so much more likely to go over like a movie theater and get the popcorn. Because mm-hmm. you smell it as soon as you walk in. The music is playing. The temperature is great, where you don't actually even see the training floor when you walk in. It's very spacious. Uh, we have one of the largest bathrooms known to man here as soon as you walk in to the left. That way, if you need to change or parents are in there with little kids, they don't feel so cramped. It's, it's, it's clean. It's constantly, constantly refreshed. And uh, we want to make sure when you walk in, you feel like a VIP because we want to give you the VIP experience from the, what you see to what you hear to what you smell to what you taste. It's all about connection. And by connecting with people in a way that's more so than just teaching the classes, you're really, really helping your retention rate and also your ability to influence. You know, you can't, you can't influence a large number of people if you don't, if you're not connecting on a small scale with a large number of people. You're, you're making them feel welcome. You're giving them an environment they, they not only appreciate, but they can see they can thrive in. Because I'm sure just your lobby is, is, is telling one story, and I'm sure when they get on your training floor, it's, it's a totally different story because it's no longer Correct. a hotel room. It's more like a training environment where their mindset. Do, do you notice a, a shift in people when they actually enter that they realize where they are and what they're, they're there to do? Well, you know, it's very, martial arts is very symbolic, right? So, so we walk in our, our training space, whatever that looks like, whether it's your downstairs basement or you go to the gym. And what's the first thing we do? We take off our shoes, right? We take off our shoes. We, we, we you know, take off our socks. We, we put our keys down. Very symbolic of leaving all of the troubles that you have outside. We're going to leave them all here. We're going to leave the stress, the new t- tires we need on our car, the taxes, the DMV trip we have to make next week, grandma's sick. We leave all of that with our shoes, right? We leave that down and we walk out onto the mat. We bow to show respect, you know, either when we enter the building or when we're coming and uh, uh, approaching the training space. And that bow is very symbolic saying, listen, I, I respect what I'm about to do. I'm present. I'm mindful. I'm going to give it my all. Okay. And, and so what happens in our lobby when you walk in, you don't actually take your, you know, t- take your shoes off there. The lobby is a, is a place where we want you to come in and it's not, it's not about paying your bill or it's not about okay, buying the latest equipment. It's not about that. I mean, all of that stuff is there. What we want you to do symbolically is kind of hold what you're about to do in reverence. And I don't mean, you know, anything other than what I'm about to say is we want this to be your special time, even as you're a parent. 
Now, how many times do you go and, and you see, you teach a class and you see the parents sitting on the side and they're on their cell phones, right? They're constantly constant on the cell phones, right? So when we, when we have you come in, everybody in our studio takes off their shoes in our lobby, right at the edge of our lobby before they go into the main floor. So everybody, even the parents, we have a no-shoe policy. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is we want to keep our training space as clean as we can, even around the training space. But two, we want you to feel like you're home. We want you to feel like that this is a safe place, that it's clean, it's inviting, and this is a place where you can truly connect. And not on your phone, you know, with Facebook or Instagram. We want mm-hmm. you to connect with your kid that's on the mat. So when they finally touch their toes after five weeks of struggling to touch their ankles and they look over at mom, mom's right there with the thumbs up. Instead of mom's head buried into Instagram because she's trying to click on what the Kardashians are doing, that that literally will not affect you at all in your entire life. Mm-hmm. That real stuff, that real connection. So that lobby sort of sets the tone and tells the story that, hey, you're here for more than just kicking and punching. And the colors, uh, you know, are very, they're, they're, they're very, they're warm, warm colors. They're warm tones of orange and, and, and brown. And when you finally get to the training space, they're loud colors. They're red, they're the reds, they're the blues, they're the blacks. You know, it's time to get moving. I mean, think of it like a casino. A casino, mm-hmm. you want all those reds and bright colors, and they want to keep you there moving and lots of energy. So that if the lobby was like that, it would be very distracting. So just even color schemes. And, and like when I talk about being fanatical with detail, I'm talking about going out right now and measuring how much space your parking spaces are and knowing exactly how much space that is. So you know when somebody pulls in in a handicapped van or if they pull in, in their in their big monster truck that we have in our area because everybody's got a truck here because you know it, it snows are they going to have enough space to comfortably get out without banging you know doors i mean we've all been to restaurants and i won't say there's one specifically in our area that's a national chain that they get they cram everybody in and you leave with dents all over the side of your vehicle because nobody thought of that detail nobody went out mm-hmm. there and said okay what's the best what actually makes sense? You know, what are we allowed to do? And then what's the right thing? Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about that level of detail. I'm talking about lighting, smells, parking. I mean, everything. So when you walk in and you walk in and you take those shoes off, yes, there's a big deep breath everybody takes. But as soon as they walk onto that floor, because of the bright colors, because of the action, because of the sound, because of the energy with the instructors, it's time to go. And as a coach, you have to be able to speak to both. And you got to be able to do both well. So talking about an experience, talking about an atmosphere. Let's move away from the martial arts because I know you're not just coaching in martial arts. You're also a public speaker where you're talking at different venues. How do, how do they find you and what are they looking for when they call upon your service? It seems that everybody sort of wants the same thing, but they want it to be delivered in a different way. And uh, what I mean by that, so first of all, they find me in a variety of ways. The number one way that people find me is through word of mouth, okay? That's the most effective advertising anyway. So right now, I have 70% of the people that I've worked with hire me a second time. It's 70%, okay? Sometimes if I go and I speak at a conference, they're not going to hire me again the next year or the next year or the next year, but they might hire, have me back, you know, eight, nine years later. So, you know, that number probably is a little bit higher than 70, but that's the actual, you know, return rate. And and so what happens is somebody goes and they hear what I have to say and they really say, okay, well, how could I, how could I use this at my church? Could I hear this message at my church? Could I hear this, you know, at my volunteer organization? I've, I've, 
I've spoken, I've been very blessed to speak through a myriad of audiences. I've, I've spoken to preschools about stranger danger. I've, I've spoken to Fortune 500 companies. I've flown to Boston a couple years ago, and it was a full-fledged thing for the CEO and their top inner circle of performers at a company called NISource, uh, which is the second largest natural gas provider in the world. And they and they and I ended up sitting in their box to watch a Boston Red Sox game. I mean, I mean, I've been I've been blessed on any given day. There was a, there was a couple of months ago. Well, I guess it was a couple of years ago now. See how fast time goes. You know, in the morning I I, I did a, a a thing on uh, bullying for an elementary school. In the afternoon, I spoke to a middle school about healthy choices. And then that night, I spoke at a funeral. I mean, you know, one of my one of my top black belts uh, passed away, and they asked me to speak. And what I say that people want kind of they want the same thing but the message is different there's no way you could talk about the same things in the same tone just in that case of at all three venues you know you really have to sort of be a, um, a chameleon in that regard and be able to match tonality with your audience but also only speak on things you know I, i've never played soccer before so i'm not going to tell a soccer story mm-hmm. I, i'm lucky now i'm a parent so i really can sort of sort of connect with adults in a way of talking about kids and what that's like and those struggles and whatever the story lends itself to for the message. But so the bottom line is that most people, they all want the same thing. They want to feel good. They want to be motivated. They want to think about some things uh, and they want to be challenged. And if you can do sort of those four things, when you go and speak at a group, you've done, you've done it. You've mm-hmm. done, done your job, whether it's a CEO or, or somebody that's a blue collar worker or, you know, a high school kid. I, I was uh, flown, excuse me, Butler, Florida, uh, last year. And the morning I, I spoke at a, at elementary school. Then I spoke at a middle school, and I spoke at a high school. I did some mentoring uh, with students that needed some, you know, some special help from some special students that had some cognitive and physical challenges. And that was all in one day. So you have to make sure that if you're going to really, really connect with somebody, and I think this is what what the bigger question is that you're asking is. You have to know you and you have to know who they are and what the message is that's going to speak the loudest to get the biggest result. That leads me to my next question, which is what's your favorite part about coaching? Because there are so many different aspects to it. I, I, I personally love the light bulb moment. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I love the fact that whether I meet you for 10 minutes or I've been a friend for 30 years. I mean, I got one guy that works for me that he's worked for me for 32 years. Mm. He's, he's been alongside of me as a brother. I mean, I mean, my, some of my top guys, we call them the master's council, fifth degree or higher. I mean, I've got five guys there and two ladies that are just tremendous. They are awesome. And they, they are lifelong loyal people. So being able to surround yourself with great people is one, but also if I can figure out who I am and I can figure out pretty quickly a lot of different cues of who you are and what you kind of need. And look, everybody's got a story. I mean, I'll never know your story unless I know you, unless I ask, unless I dig down. And also, you have to be willing to share things with me. But if, I, if I'm confident enough to break that outer shell of resistance and you nod your head and you say, ah, good point, or you nod your head and say, yeah, I know what you're talking about there, or you laugh, I can get you to smile. I can get you to think. I can get you at the end of when I'm done, you come up and ask me a question more so than, hey, you know, where are you eating dinner tonight? A valuable question, like an insightful question, then I know that I've done my job. If I can get one person to think, just think, I know I've done my job. You might not remember my name. You might not remember who I am. Eight months from then, you, you just remember, hey, that guy 
and he was talking about the difference between a fire starter and an energy sucker. Mm. Now I remember that, and that stuck with me. You know, I that stuck with me. I don't want to be an energy sucker complaining about every red light I hit uh, on the way to work today, and that I have to make uh, you know 18 trips to the market, and I have to host Christmas dinner. And yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be thinking that way. I want to be a fire starter. Hey, every time that I get to spend in in the car at that red light, I got to connect with my kids just a little bit longer on the way to school. And you know what? I get to host dinner because I'm blessed enough to have a stove and we have space and I can have people to come that want to come and spend that dinner with me. I'm blessed enough to be able to do the dishes because we ate. Mm -hmm. You know, you change your thinking. And if I can get somebody to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I like that guy. Or, man, I, I, I remember that. Or somebody just, just, just that light bulb moment is what I live for. Like I, like I said, it's like a drug. It's like it's an adrenaline. It's not about you know, your name and lights, and it's not about how many likes you get. It's the, it's the follow-up from the follow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean by that? Absolutely. Yes. You brought up your, your kids and, and how important they are to you. With your kids now doing different activities, and you, you may be seeing coaching from different aspects, especially people who are bringing their message to your kids. What have you learned? I know you cross-train, but have you looked at football coaches, soccer coaches, all different kinds of coaches. And, and if you're watching a sport on TV and do you watch sports on TV, do you appreciate what's going on or do you want to know more about what's going on in, in as far as a coach coach's method or ideology that they may be going through? Here's the thing. I, I have seen at the younger ages, you're going to get volunteer coaches. Okay. So you're going to get people that, you know, Hey, Jimmy's playing soccer. We don't have a coach. Jimmy's dad kind of played soccer or he watches soccer on TV. Okay. He's going to be the coach. So I think at a young age, you really have these pure people that want to do it because they love their kids or they just want to see the kids have fun, you know, but as, as things get older, the focus, you know, shifts, it shifts upon winning. And I, I am not one to say we shouldn't keep score because we should. And I, I think that we, you know, we should have quarters, you know, not everybody's going to get a turn to shoot, but I think maybe everybody should get in at those young ages. There, there's a little, there's a little difference there that basically the older you get, the more outside influences take effect. And what I mean by that is when you're a, a coach, you know, at the collegiate level, if you don't win, they're going to fire you. Okay. And if they fire you, you might not have a job at that university. Obviously you wouldn't have that income, but also you might have to pick your family up and move them to a new school if you can find one to give you a chance. So, so there's a lot riding on that coat. There's a lot of pressure there. Mm -hmm. Plus then, you know, the older you get, the more hormones you have, the more outside influences you got. Sam's a girlfriend and, you know, she's pregnant and you got, you know, this guy is, is into drugs, kind of, and I got to deal with all that. The younger kids, you know, you've got parents. You know, you've got, you've got right, right. parents, which can be a good thing and a bad thing, you know, depending on how you look at it. But I can 100% appreciate that coach that's screaming on the sideline about a guy that misses a tackle when they've done that tackle a thousand times in practice leading up to that, that particular day. And he's like, man, if you make that tackle, we win. Mm. I can also appreciate the, the coach that's very quiet. that doesn't really say anything, that his culture speaks for itself. I'm a big Washington football team, whatever you want to call them now. And, you know, Ron Rivera, who not only battled cancer, uh, this particular season, but you know he's very, very quiet. He hardly says anything on the sideline, and he's staring 
and, and he's pensive and he's thinking and he has a lot of guys around him, you know, firing things up and let's go, you know, but he's, he's not one to be screaming at people and to get upset and to be mad and throwing stuff. Right. He's not the, you know, the, the Bobby Knight of, 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 of football. You know, I appreciate the passion that some people have because they expect more. And when you let that more down, you know, it can be frustrating, but I also find very, very great solace in a coach that he sets the standard and he's even keel. He has balance and he knows when to push and he knows when to back up. And that is truly the definition of a great coach. You know, you, you, you can get upset and you can get fired up because you know that they need to see you upset and you need to fire them up. But also more importantly, that you're not going to bend and you're going to be present and you're going to make sure that you can motivate um, sometimes through a look. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if I was doing something I wasn't supposed to, my my dad could look over at me. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you better put that cookie down from behind. You know, he can just look. And when you when you have that kind of power over somebody, when you look at them and you know you're disappointing them and you immediately change your behavior, that is a culture that is amazing. You don't have to beat the kid. You don't have to get the belt out, you know, or the backhand. You know what I mean? We talked about that earlier. You can just look at someone and you know that they're not you're not, that you're letting them down. And I think that's a great definition of a coach, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely can appreciate that. And I feel that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you talk at martial arts conferences and you see what's going on in the industry. What would you like to see happen or what would you like to see change? Well, that's a tough question. So uh, I'm aware. There's, there's a gentleman. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a gentleman out in, uh, in San Francisco. His name is Professor Brandon Beliso. And Professor Beliso and I have had this conversation many, many times. He has a, he's a big advocate of no contract. Okay. So uh, in my martial arts studio, we don't do contracts at our studio. Okay. And we've talked about that before at length and, you know, why that is. And, you know, people have to be committed. They got to show they're committed to make sure that they sign up for a year and two years. And, you know, hey, I don't want to teach your kid if, you know, and can be committed to your kid if they're not committed to the program. And I, I, I feel that I get that. And, and I understand and I can appreciate the fact that somebody, especially new, they want that guaranteed income every month by, by having contracts. But one of the things that I'm pretty, I'm pretty hard on, and this, this is just a hard line that I've taken is that we are not going to do contracts with our studio, that our contract with you is our connection with you. And our promise to you is the promise that we give every single class that we are going to do our absolute best, that we're going to make sure that we go above and beyond with service and detail. And when you walk away, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to come running back the next class because we have done everything we can to make sure we connect with you and your family. Now, what I mean, uh, now, let me, let me preface this. We've been in business. I've been a business school owner for 20 years, and our numbers are, are exceptional. So it's easy for me to say, we don't do contracts now. We've never done them. We, we haven't done them even at first, even when we were just sort of starting out. But I would just say that if you're new, almost contracts are kind of like you, you almost almost have to do them at first because you, you're going to need to be able to pay your rent because you just signed that year lease and you don't know how many students are coming in every month. But for me personally, I would like to see the service element, the story element, the, the attention to detail element change in our martial art industry because I know that there are a lot of talented people I've seen people take their thumb through coconuts. I've seen people darn near levitate their martial arts skill, running up, you know, walls and, you know, doing 540, 720, you know, 920 kick. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy what kind of skill there is out there. But I also know that some of those same people can't balance a checkbook. Mm-hmm. 
They haven't cleaned their mat in two weeks. You know, they, they don't clean the bathrooms. You know, they, sometimes they, they, they don't pay their bills on time because they're, they're, they're black belts in, in, in martial arts, but they're not black belts in service. So I would like to see our industry sort of shift away from that model of win, 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 win to a model of serve, 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 serve. Because if you can serve, everybody wins. If you chase the money, if you, ch- if you do what you do for money, you will be unfulfilled. I mean, we all know these people that hit the lottery and in three years they're broke and their wife left them and their kids hate them. You know what I mean? Cause, so the money's not going not gonna to do it. The money is just going to accentuate your character. So what happens is if you're chasing a bigger, a bigger mission, again, our mission is kickstarting confident leaders. I even told you the story at the, uh, at the Super Show. That's what I'm, I, or at the um, Disney Institute. That's what I'm sort of, I want to push each and every week is we want to build a leader in you. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a black belt. Okay, but it does mean that we're going to do our best to make sure that you know who you are, that you're confident, that you're mannered, that you know how to goal set. You might make it to red, and guess what? That's okay. It's going to be okay. Maybe that's where you were. You you had to stop because you didn't quite get to that next level. It doesn't mean we're going to lower our standards. Okay, but sometimes when you do a contract with people, and this is the dangerous thing, I sign a four-year contract. Why? And how long does it take to get the black belt? Four years. Okay. Well, yeah, I got four years, and uh, I'm going to be a black belt. That's not always the case. Mm. That's not the case. You know as well as I knew that that's not going to work for everybody. One of the things that you mentioned is about these people who are doing these incredible martial art feats, but not everybody who's a great martial artist is a great teacher. Correct. Some of these people who are great martial artists need to submit when, when it comes time for them to become a leader, to become a teacher, to empower someone else. Because... Not everybody's going to break a coconut with their thumb, and you can't teach everybody to do that. Maybe a few. Correct. But then also you have to get into how do you get to that part? How do you get there? What's the, the plan? What's the, how do you build someone up? So it's important. Everything that you've said is, is critical to developing people. What would you say is your main goal when you... I understand you want to empower someone. I understand that you want to make them a leader and you want to do all of these amazing things for them. But sometimes you're going to find somebody who just, they're not really looking for that. How do you go ahead and and convince them in, in a positive way that maybe this is what they should be looking at to become a leader, to become a role model? I think it, it all comes down to choice, right? You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we get to choose every day what kind of day we have. We get to choose every day if it's going to be a good day or a bad day, basically by, by how we respond to circumstances that are thrown at us. If you just take a look at this, you know, corona season, New York, that's where you live, was probably hit the hardest out of all the states. I mean, California is a, is a close second, if not neck and neck with you all. I mean, and, and, and things that you have battled through as a leader this year, you know, you're being tested. I would just say, though, that at some point we have to be tested. You know, at, at some point, you know, we can train, we can train, we can train. But at some point, we have to have a real life situation be thrown at us to see what we're really made of. And I would just say this to your to your question. It, it's maybe it may be a, maybe something that's a bigger thought is that we get to choose our legacy. We get to choose how we connect with people and what they remember about us. Is it positive or is it negative? And listen, it doesn't always have to be positive. It doesn't have to be like, Hey, uh, we, we need to be liked by everybody. And that's, that's what's wrong. I think with the, with the, with the younger culture, but that's a whole other conversation. 
it could be that, hey, that guy saw that his boss was doing something unethical and he said, listen, I can't work for a company where I don't trust the boss. And he left and he left us in our most critical time right before, you know, fourth quarter. And we needed these profits and he was the top guy. And, you know, I hate that guy. You know what? That's what he's going to be known for. But at the end of the day, he chose the right path. He chose what mattered to him based on his morals, his ethics, his principles. So if you have somebody, at least in general, especially with kids, and I love working with kids because you can see the light bulb in a kid almost, and you have somebody that is shut off and they're walled off and you've tried everything with them and you can't connect with them. At a certain point, it becomes on them. It becomes that, listen, you know, I'm going to be here. And just so you know, if you need anything, I'm here. I can connect with you in any way possible. I'm going to be here when your mom dies. I'm going to be here. You lose your job. I'm going to be here for you when bad things happen. But just like a relative that keeps getting into prison, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, we're here. We tried. You know, he's there. I mean, at a certain point, it is all about choice. And you're not going to be able to connect with everybody. There will be one. There will be two. There will be in a group of 50. There will be maybe five that just check out. And I will just say this. This is, and I'll just, I'll just kind of give this example to you. So I was in Charleston, West Virginia. I was speaking to a group of about 800 people. And I was in a room, and it was a continuing education program. Okay, They brought in a guest speaker. I was in there. I was to speak for an hour and 15 minutes on leadership. Okay, So I start, and I can judge how well things are going by body language, by response. It's called physiognomy, the study of facial expressions. You can, you can see if somebody is responding to you by their face and a lot of times you can just look out if they're on their phone then they're not present you know that's an easy mm-hmm. an easy indicator okay so i was about 30 minutes in and i i look over to my right and there's this guy and he's on his laptop okay now at this point with with what i do in my storytelling i have pretty much 90 95 percent of the room okay and that's where i that's my comfort zone because you again you're never going to get everybody and i look over here and for whatever reason he's all the way front row all the way on the right this guy was on his laptop and he was just typing away. You know? And I was like, at that moment, the entire room shifted to just one guy. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to now speak to this guy. So I, I find myself going over to the right side of the stage. I try to change my cadence. I'm changing my voice fluctuation. I'm asking responsive questions. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what my 29 years of experience of speaking since I was 14 years old doing the July 4th speech, nothing was working on this guy. Okay. Nothing was working. And I'm trying, I mean, I'm getting more fired up. I'm more energetic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working the stage, like the whole thing. Right. So we get all the way done. That guy pulled up his laptop and he bolted out of the door. Gone. Boom. Done. And you know, at that moment, I'm like, Hey, I missed him. Like my whole purpose of being here, my whole purpose was to speak to this guy. You know, I felt it, you know, you know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and says, this guy on his, on his laptop, he needs you. You need to pour life into him. Right. So anyway, the, the end of the, the, the event hit, you know, I had maybe 40, 50 people that wanted to come up and, and, and ask another question or talk to me or give me their business card or, you know, talk about something with martial arts, whatever. And there was a guy that was sitting on the other side, front row left, that I had no idea. He was just standing there and he goes on the stage and he folds his arms and he's just staring at me. And as a martial artist, this guy was staring at me like he wanted to fight. Mm. Okay. He was angry. <laughs> you, I could tell by his body language. That okay, and I'm like, oh my gosh, did I say something wrong? Is he going to correct me with a quote? Or I mean, whatever. That's usually the case if somebody is standing there like that, that they want to confront you in some regard. So anyway, I'm 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 going down through the line, but I notice this guy, and he is he is eyeballing me. He's just staring at me on the stage, 
toe to toe, same height, everything. Everybody else is down and that kind of thing. So anyway, I get all the way to the last lady. I said, thank you so much. Thank you for being patient. You're the last ones. I want to take the most time with you. And she asked a question. And, and, and I guess in my head, I'm stalling because I'm like, I don't know what this guy's going to do, but it's erratic and it's not a normal, it's not normal behavior. So anyway, I got done with her. I said, thank you, ma'am. So I, I stood up because at that point I had sat down to make sure that I was on the same level as everybody that was asking the questions for me. That's a respectful thing to do. I stand up, I go to the stage and I walk over to him and I figured in my head, I'm going to show him some good lang- body language and I'm going to walk fast towards him and put my hands up in front of me, you know, kind of in the prayer position in case he tries to hit me or something. My hands will be out in front of me, right? All the things that were taught in martial arts. I walk over and say, hey, thank you, sir. Thanks for coming. I clap my hands. Said, you know, I noticed you've been standing here a really long time and I just want to say thank you for your patience. I appreciate the connection that we're about to make and how can I serve you today? And this guy he folds his arms and now, now he's staring right at me. He's giving me these, these, these demon eyes, you know? Mm. And he's like, you know, I've been coming to this seminar. I've been coming to this seminar for the last seven years. He goes, you're the best damn speaker I ever heard. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I took a deep breath. I said, okay, he's not going to hit me. You know what I mean? But here's where the story, here's where the story sort of comes to light. He goes, you know, I needed to hear that message today. And he unfolds his arms and he puts his hands in his pocket. And he goes, you know, I uh, have a rough patch in life. My wife left me and we had a kid pass away a couple years ago, about to lose my job. And he, he lists about 10 things that you don't want all at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm. And he goes, uh, I was going to, I was going to hang myself today in my room. Well, wow. and I was like, like, wow. Like I'm speechless. Like, I don't know what to say to him. You know, I was just quiet, like kind of looking at him and he goes, I needed, I needed to hear that message. Cause you just saved my life. And this, this feeling of, you know, like, I just want to hug this guy, you know, I, I don't want to put my arms around him. And I just want to tell him that, you know, it was an honor, but here, here's the point. Here's the point of the story. You know, I, I connected him with the person that hired me and, you know, I, I, I've checked in on him since then, you know, he, he's okay. And he, he just, he was just at a moment of weakness kind of thing, but here's the deal. This is, this is what I want to, I want to tell you. So here I am, I'm focusing on that one guy who's sitting over here on his laptop. I'm focusing all of my attention, at least for 30 minutes, most of my attention is on this guy. I went back, I videotape every time I speak, and I'm watching myself literally trying to speak life into this guy. He's sitting there, and he's walled off. He didn't hear a thing that I said. He could care less because he was somewhere else. And I like to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe he was, like, uh, on the verge of curing cancer or something, and he sent in the last email, you know. He was probably playing Tetris or cards. or what. I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't there. And here's the thing, you know. Hey, Rick, did you ever... Did you ever think that maybe he was writing everything you said? It, it, it's possible. <laughs> he just never looked up. Got it. Got it. Never looked up. It is possible. But, you know, here I am trying to pour into somebody, you know, in my head that, that is, they're already full. They're, they're walled off. And here in the same room, on the other end of the floor, on the other, on the other side, is a guy that's, that's hanging on every word I'm saying. That, so, so I guess the whole point is that being present is so important, but also being receptive to growth, you know, as a coach, as a mentor, as a mentee, you know, it's just as important as the work itself. Like you have to be ready to grow. Okay. You can't motivate someone on a team that doesn't want to be there. You can try, mm. you can pour in because you don't want to have any regrets at the end of the day. You know, you want to pour in everything that you have with them every single time. But at, at a certain point, it's like, listen, if your mom's making you come to martial arts and they're making you be here, and every two minutes you're faking an injury or you have to go to the bathroom 
and you're not trying, I can schedule private lessons with you. I can give you one-on-one coaching. We're doing now like Zoom lessons, you know, with kids right now. If they don't want to come or if they need some extra help, I can get you into a beginner's class. Maybe this class is too hard. Maybe I can get you in more advanced class where maybe those people can motivate you. But over a certain amount of time, that person is what we call an energy suck. That person is like, they, 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 they're, they're walled off and they need some, somebody that's more of an, ex, uh, an expert than you are, or maybe just this avenue, like, and I'm just speaking of martial arts, really isn't for you. And that's why my, my mission when I say kickstarting confident leaders, okay, it's, it's not just about martial arts. It's about making you a better person in life. So maybe martial arts isn't your thing, but you can still get the life lessons. You can still be respectful. You can still be polite. You can still be on time. You can still show up with your uniform. You can still have some sort of attitude of growth and have that attitude of gratitude. You can still get that. I don't think that anyone in life is not coachable. I think everybody is coachable. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, you also have to want to be coached. You know, And we know this by people that they commit a crime and they get out and they commit another crime and they get out and they commit another crime and they get out and commit another crime. Like, it's just, just like an alcoholic. You have to hit rock bottom before you, before you start looking up. It ha- you ha- you ha- something has to be triggered in you that makes you want to change, um, like a credit card spender that continues to spend. No, and, and that's very important. With, with everything you're saying, you, you've actually, you're very people-oriented, giving your message out freely to people where they can take it and understand it, but... It, it came from somewhere, and, and your message is because of what you've gone through. Your message is because of who's mentored you or who's coached you. What would you say is the best advice a coach or a mentor or an instructor ever passed down to you? Wow, that's, that's a tough one. Give it a shot. Wow, okay, best piece of advice. Well, um, I am a big Disney fan, and there's a book out there uh, well, several books out there written by a gentleman by the name of Lee Cockrell. And uh, Lee Cockrell was VP of operations for Disney, basically ran, ran the entire theme park. And he's written a couple, couple books out there. If you, if, you, if you do a Google search there, you'd be able to find it. One of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received is a leader's role is to do what has to be done, when it shouldn't be done, in a way, in a way it should be done, whether you like it or not, whether they like it or not. And I love that piece of advice as a coach, as a leader. Sometimes you have to bench a player for not following the rules, even though it's going to cost you the game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to break the rules and give a kid a I mean, I was a, a JV basketball coach where there were rules about transporting players. And this kid didn't have, didn't have parents. You know, basically, they were drug addicts. And I'd go and pick them up all the time. And the administration was really upset about that. And I said, listen, if I can get a parent to sign a, some sort of waiver that releases me in case there's a car accident, can I just go pick the kid up? Because if, he, if I don't pick him up and he's not here, guess what, what kind of example he's getting at home? He, he's going he's gonna to become a drug addict because that's what he's seeing. That's what the behavior is mentored. This, this gym in ninth grade is the safest place for him. And I know it's not right to go pick him up and take him home. And that's against your policy, but it's the right thing. So sometimes the leader's role is to do what has to be done, what should be done, in a way it should be done. Because sometimes there's some kid gloves involved with people. Sometimes you got to lay the law down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called rigid flexibility. You know, I talk about this in, in my upcoming book. A leader's role is to do those things, whether you like it, whether they like it or not. Because 
sometimes the best piece of advice is being cut from a team. Ask Michael Jordan, right? Sometimes the best piece of advice is give somebody just one more chance, you know, when maybe they don't deserve it. You know, I was doing a birthday party here many years ago, and I was uh, inside, and I was doing the party. It was, for, it was a Saturday afternoon at my martial arts studio, and I walked out to the pro shop, and the party was half over, and I noticed that a whole bunch of our stuff from the new line, you know, was, was gone, was missing. And I thought, wow, this is great. You know, today was the first day it was out. We must have sold a ton of stock. So I went and checked the register. This was before we installed cameras. And uh, here it turns out somebody stole it. It was gone. Like, like all it, like I started looking, there were bow staffs gone. There was all kinds of stuff from our pro shop. It was just gone. It just was, was not there. So, you know, curiosity got the best of me. I walked outside and maybe it was around the building or somebody dumped it. Or, and I look in this car and here's it's in the back seat of this car from one of the people here at the birthday party. Mm. So I walk in and I grab the lady there whose, whose kid's party was. I say, I think we have a problem. I said, one of your guests has just stolen some stuff from me. And she was like mortified, you know? So anyway, I took her out. I showed her. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's my brother. So we went back in. We called the, the boy and he had a, a friend with him. And they were older, like upper teens. Called him out to the lobby and she was ready to light in, just light him up. And I was like, let me, let me handle it, okay? The guys, is there is there something you need to you need to tell me? So here I am, you know, I got all the stripes on my belt, full uniform, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm a lot. I've, I've been at this point, it was the mid 30s, so I'm a lot taller and more, you know, menacing, you know, over these these teenage kids. And you start seeing them go, uh, 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 and finally they admitted to it. We walked out, you know, it was. I mean, they had stolen close to two thousand dollars worth of stuff. They because because it wasn't just the stuff in the back seat. They had filled up the trunk. Because there was nobody at the front desk because we were, you know, all concentrating at the birthday on the birthday party stuff. So anyway, long story short, the mom goes, are you going to call the police? I said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to call the police. And she looked at me like, oh, my gosh, why? <laughs> you know, my, my brother's an idiot. You know, he does stupid stuff like this all the time. I said, I'll tell you what I want to do. I just want to know why you took it. Just tell me why. And, and, and we'll go from there. And the boy said, listen, we don't go on social media and we see how good your demo team is. And we thought that if we took some stuff, that we could be like the demo team. And I'm starting start looking at the stuff they took. They took bow staff. They took a stretching machine. They, they took, you know, some pads and masks and stuff. They didn't take any. They took two uniforms, two white, white uniforms. And we, our, our pro shop is covered. There's probably like maybe close to 20 different. They only took the white testing one. Okay. Because that's the ones the demo team wears. So it kind of, it kind of made sense. I mean, I don't know if they made it up or not, but they, they very, they seem sincere at the moment, in the moment. And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Not only am I not going to call the police, but I'm going to give you two months worth of free karate left. Okay. You can come in and we can teach you how to be respectful, how to own your decision, how to be polite, how to make sure that you are goal setting in a reasonable, responsible, ethical way. So maybe one day you can earn the right to be on that demo team instead of stealing your way on. That's what a leader's job is. You know, a leader's job is to do what has to be done in a way it should be done, whether they like it or not, whether you like it or not. And it was uncomfortable confronting someone that just stole something from me without getting upset, but it was the right thing to do. It's uncomfortable cutting someone when you, when you know you're going to lose, you're going to lose without them, but it's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. That's why you got to have a moral compass. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, you, you gave them an opportunity to see their actions and, and really take a, a deep look within themselves. Now, let me ask you, did they take you up on the opportunity you gave them? They did. They did. They were there for two months and uh, it fizzled out, but we, we at least got to speak life into them for two months. And that's when I, when I come back to your last question, that's where change comes in. Like, or I mean, like, I'm sorry, choice. You have to choose because, you know, I can, I can set you up with the job. I can set you up 
because, you know, my friend, he owns the printing company. I can get you a job in there in the mailroom, but I make you go. I can't make you work hard at the job. I can only, I can only be the, be the vessel for good at a certain point. You have to change. You have to be the one that, that owns it because we all own our future. And again, like I said, we all own our legacy. What are people going to remember about us? And it doesn't always have to be good. It just has to be strong and purposeful. It has to be driven in, in what's right. Moral compass really helps out. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. So, uh, you know, I put God first for me and everything in, in, in the Bible lays it out pretty, pretty cut and dry for me of, of how I should respond and how I should act. And uh, that mercy and grace are, are good things. Mm. But also there's that time where you might need to, to dismiss somebody. I mean, unfortunately we had to let somebody go two months ago. Their, their standard wasn't my standard and I didn't have to be mean or get upset, but it just wasn't working. And we have to go and go in different directions. doesn't mean we don't take care of them. I gave them a pretty nice severance package on their way out, but it's still, it's the right thing to do, whether it's uncomfortable or not. And, and that's the best piece of advice I've ever given or I've ever been given. Nice. Nice. Rick, let me ask you, what advice would you give someone not if they want to become a martial arts instructor, but what if they want to become a public speaker like yourself? It's, it's easy for somebody. It's a, it's a scary thing if you think about it. Well, you, you go on social media and, and you hear everybody says, well, you got to grind and you got to do this and you got to do that. And, you know, you see all these, these young people that they think the most important thing is money and houses and cars and nice vacations and things like that. And, 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 the first three years in business, like I didn't take a paycheck, you know, during this Corona season, everybody got paid at my martial arts studio, except me. Like when you, when you talk about wanting something, you literally have to be able to give up everything and do it for free to get your dream, to get what you want. Like you have to be able to do it. You look at, you know, Sean, uh, Sean Combs, he's tough daddy. If you look at him, like you go, go back and research his story. Like that guy volunteered, like he, he volunteered his time at a recording label, literally getting coffee and doing every anything he could just to be around that environment, just to maybe get some some recording time at 4.30 in the morning on a Tuesday for 20 minutes when nobody was in there. You know, Eric Thomas, you know, he, he's the best number one motivational speaker, and he says it best. He goes, when you want to succeed more than you want to breathe, then it will happen. So the best piece of advice that I'll give you is find what you love, find the ability to be able to motivate others through your sacrifices and hard work. You know, make sure, make sure that people can see the story. You know, it's easy for me to put on Instagram a, a post or on Facebook a post of me standing with a whole bunch, with a nice car and lots of money and say, hey, come look at me. Like that's like those people miss the mark. You know, you miss the mark. When, when, you, when you go online and you start looking at the net worth of some of these celebrities, especially the ones that are really, that are older, right? You see them in the public eye, but they're not going on, they're not taking their jet all over the place. They're not have these great big giant entourages. They move in silence and, and, and they, their story speaks for itself. I mean, there are very few Cal Ripkins in the world. If you know his story mm. that will stay after, after a game, two and three hours to make sure that every kid gets an autograph. Every kid gets a smile, right? Because he loves, he truly loves what he does and he would do it for free. So when you find something that you're passionate about, you find something that you, that you can't stop thinking about. And that if you would do it for free and you would give up hours upon hours upon hours upon hours for it, then you'd know you hit the mark. And that's when you can truly make a difference. You know, I worked for 106 straight days, 106 straight days during this Corona season when it hit from March 14th on 106 straight days without a day off. All right. And I, I'm not, I don't apologize for that. I don't need a pat on the back for that. 
and, and, and I didn't get paid once, didn't take a check. 106 straight days, anywhere between 15 to 17 hours a day. We shot over 600 videos and classes to go online during that Corona season for three months. I don't apologize for that. And I don't, I don't need a, you know, a pat on the back and, oh, good job, buddy. I don't share that with you to brag. I'm just saying, like, I did it for free. And I would do it again for free because I'm fighting for a legacy. I'm fighting for a mission about building leaders. And when other people see that in you, it requires loyalty and lifelong compassion for the mission and the brand that cannot be bought. That's the good stuff. That is the good stuff. <laughs> so you, you have a couple of books out. How can someone find your books? So I, I'm shopping my, my actually I'm shopping my first leadership book uh, currently as as I speak. So you know, unfortunately, you know, it's not it's not available uh, yet, uh, but it, it will be at the end of 2021. But the best way is you go to my website, which is randospeaks.com, R-A-N-D-O uh, dot com, randospeaks.com, randospeaks.com. You go there, and of course, you got all my social media sites and links and all that stuff. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, you know. All, all Facebook, all the biggies. You know, I, I love connecting with people. And even if, if you're listening, if you're still listening, you're doing a good job, by the way, mm-hmm. okay? Because we're, 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 we're over an hour in. So if you're still listening, and, and if there's a way that I can serve you or speak life into you, you know, send me an email. Send me a correspondence. I always respond, and I always respond, always respond very quickly, especially if you're pa- as passionate about it as I am. And especially if you're, if you're still listening, something uh, has, has brought us together here so make sure that you connect with me. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to connect. Well, I'll definitely put all your information in the description, and I think you and I can talk for hours because everything you're saying is is basically my belief as well. You know, I've been teaching martial arts for forever. I've been training for forty five years, going on forty six. I live and breathe this stuff. I train every single day. I can't even recall a day I've ever taken off. Even when I go on vacation, when I go to Vegas for all those shows and everything, even there I'm training. You know, I bump to I, I bump into Dave Kovar all the time, and especially at six in the morning, and we're both training. You know, and it's it's just the passion that we all have. And thank you for today. Thank you for your time. And I know how valuable it is. And thank you for spending it with me this morning. I appreciate it. Yes, sir, Sifu. Well, here's here's what we can do as martial artists. All we can do is just continue to be the light. And one thing that this pandemic or, or you know, whenever you're listening to the one, one thing that martial arts does really well is that we're all we're very people driven and it's very individualized. So, you know, if you work out, you're going to get flexible. If you do your push ups, you're going to get stronger. If you don't, you won't. So it's all about choice. Even even the third string punter. You know, on the Super Bowl team, he still gets a ring or she still gets a ring right here. If you don't do the work, you don't you don't advance. You don't you don't see the benefits of what the martial arts truly can do for you as a human, as a person, as a leader. So, you know, if, if you ever thought about training the martial arts, do it. If you're close, uh, train with Sifu. If you're close, come see me in Maryland. We'll take care of you. OK, thank Absolutely. you again for having me. Sir. I appreciate it. Oh, and one more thing. It's never too late to start. I mean, I've had people start in their 50s and 60s. I had a gentleman who started at 64, and one of his his goals was to be training by the time he was 65, and, and he did it, you know. And it's just those type wow. of people who say, nothing will stand in my way. I will do what I need to do. And so some people start early in life, and some people start later in life. And it doesn't matter where you start. 
as long as today's the day you start. And whatever day that may be, it may be a year from now, two years from now, it may be this afternoon. <laughs> Who knows when your first class will be? Only you, only you do. Yes, sir. That's great advice. Thank you for having me, sir. My pleasure. Have a great one. You too. You yeah. too, sir. Thank you so much. You got it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.